Sales Sooners, Episode 110, Carson Hetty, Cloud Transformation Specialist at Microsoft. I've really tried very hard to position myself as the advocate. You as a seller never benefit if a customer goes down a path that is not going to benefit them. This is Sales Tuners with Jim Brown, the only weekly show where we talk about the attitude, action, and ability that gets sales reps and entrepreneurs to grow their revenue from $1 million to more than $10 million in just two years. It's time. It's time. It's sales tuners time. I'm Jim Brown, your host, and our weekly inspiration comes from Martin Luther King Jr., who said, our lives begin to end the day we become silent about things that matter. Today, I'm joined by Carson Hetty, cloud transformation specialist at Microsoft and author of the Birth of a Salesman series. You may have also seen Carson in, okay, you probably didn't see him, but he did make an on-camera appearance during the movie Fever Pitch during game four of the World Series. Carson has been at the top of the sales leaderboard at four different companies by becoming an advocate for his prospects. Listen in and you'll quickly see why. We talk a lot in this episode about aligning yourself with your buyer's process, how to add value with research for quality touches, and why focusing on getting a signed contract could be hurting your output. As my time in Italy comes to a close this week, I'm now looking for great B2B salespeople in Spain, Tanzania, and Thailand. Drop me a note and let me know who you know in any of those countries. Also, if I can be of help to you with any of the questions you currently have, check out the new voice recorder I've added at salestuners.com askjb. I'll be answering those questions in an upcoming episode. All right. Make sure you stick around until the end where I'll give my recap and top takeaways. You can also check out all the links and show notes at salestuners.com slash 110. But now, let's get to the conversation where Carson talks about his quest to both be able to influence as well as be influenced. Yeah, I think what a lot of us face is just, I wanted my parents to be proud of me. And uh, over time, I think that morphed a lot. I I found that I had a flair for competition and enjoyed uh, not only competing, but learning uh, from peers and uh, just others in the business and figuring out what their best practices were. And um, I just, I was on a nonstop quest uh, for for learning more and and getting better and better and, you know, finding ways where I could influence and and be influenced. And then finally, you know, as it's, life uh, continued on, uh, you know, it really is settled on doing everything that I can to take care of my family and uh, figure out how I can best leave my mark. Um, You know, I'm driven to uh, figure out what are the right ways to develop relationships and focus on process uh, within the parameters of the the roles that I'm in. And um, it's it's like a game, Um, you know, just trying to find out uh, just the different ways and and the different uh, mechanisms that lead to success. I want to start with the, the book series that you wrote, you know, Birth of a Salesman. Uh, where, where did that idea come from and, and, and what made you uh, start penning a novel? Yeah, you know, I'd always wanted to write. Um, I wrote silly stories that had my classmates in them when I was a kid. And, um, you know, just throughout the years, it always had a, a passion for just writing here and there. I didn't really know what form it would take. In the back of my mind, I wanted to write a book. And uh, years ago, I was fortunate. I was writing a column for a newsletter uh, that my company published. And, um, you know, I found that I was writing a lot of articles about selling. 
and um, you know just the unique approaches to selling and uh, whether it was selling to dif- different verticals or uh, different geographies or just prospecting versus building the pipeline and overcoming objections you name it uh, these these topics really spoke to me so I didn't want to try to reinvent any wheels. I wanted to take a unique approach. So I decided to create a fictional author of a sales book. And so I did that and I wrote uh, Birth of a Salesman, which goes back and forth between telling the story of Vincent Scott, who is the fictional author, and it's his sales book that he writes. And so different chapters, how he learns the lessons, and then what he puts when he does pen to paper. So uh, it was kind of an interesting twist. And obviously, I... Uh, Put a play on the title of Arthur Miller's Death of a Salesman to get the title. I think it's fantastic that you're able to to take that notion of writing uh, an internal newsletter and see all the different ways you could apply things and turn that into the concept of a book. And it's it's one I definitely recommend everybody listening to this uh, take a, a, a look at. Uh, Carson, as you know, in this show we talk about the attitude, action, and ability that has led to your success. Uh, everyone listening here has heard of Microsoft, but tell me about the cloud practice and and why a typical customer buys from you. There are several different facets of our business, and I work for an organization that has transformed itself, um, like I feel like a lot of us as sellers have to do. So, you know, in in recent uh, years, we've gone from being kind of more of a personal computing uh, story to a uh, cloud computing story and figuring out different ways to make the cloud make sense, um, whether it's from a security standpoint, collaboration standpoint, uh, infrastructure and cost saving standpoint, how much of a business and their infrastructure and their applications, et cetera, makes sense in the cloud. And, um, you know, for every organization, it is a different motivating factor. Um, it is a different, uh, completely different landscape. It's, um, you know, how, do, how are they leveraging artificial intelligence and machine learning and, and analytics? And uh, so most of my role is uh, spending time orchestrating a team and uh, also being able to go in and actually talk to the C suite of a lot of these organizations and figuring out, you know, what are their their priorities, what are their pain points, and where we might be able to address them. Uh, why somebody would buy from me? Uh, well, I, you know, I, I siphon that into two two separate sections. Number one, obviously, there's a lot of Microsoft customers in one way or another, where it, whether it is a, a Windows device or whether it's folks that have licensing uh, to be able to use different components of our Microsoft Office. Um, so I feel like there's a lot of Microsoft customers out there. So we are very fortunate that a lot of customers will investigate what we are doing and what we are doing well. You know, I feel like we have a very good uh, product and solution set uh, in the marketplace that uh, that speaks across industries but as far as me personally I've I've really tried very hard to position myself as the advocate nobody you as a seller never benefit if a customer goes down a path that is not going to benefit them and there are many resources and and things that I can bring to bear for potential customers and existing customers. And so I feel like a lot of my role is really evangelizing that. Granted, I have to utilize a process to uh, sometimes position myself. Some customers are more likely to talk to me than others. Um, but then once I'm in there, you know, I've picked up a lot of best practices as far as from specialists that I've worked with over the years and partners of what questions to ask. Um, but 
at the end of the day, it's the listening and the understanding of what factors they're facing, what cost issues they're facing, what deadlines they're facing, investments that they have that may be expiring, you know, how I can best leverage the resources that my organization has against that, you know, those uh, obstacles and blockers and, and opportunities that they have and that they're facing. So um, I feel like people buy from me specifically because I am tirelessly an advocate for them and their best interests. And I'm a firm believer that if I have the right people approach internally and externally, and I utilize the right process consistently and execute, the numbers take care of themselves. It's been working for me my entire career. I love this concept of being an advocate for your buyer, especially in a company the size of of Microsoft, the entire suite of products you guys have. But Carson, you haven't always been the person you are today. So take me way back. How did you even get here to be to know to be this advocate? How did, how did you start that sales career? It was a long process. And, and Jim, I'm constantly faced with the fact that my younger, more naive self wrote a book about sales. And um, I, I kick myself because my philosophies have changed so much over the last several years. You know, how I got into sales, I, I interviewed for a job that I thought and hoped was just going to be customer service. Um, the training was extremely intense, uh, but I was one of two out of 12 in the class that were off the street. I didn't have any kind of retreat rights, so I couldn't move to another role in the organization. Uh, so I stuck it out. And despite all the pressure, I found myself to be quite good at phone sales, which I am not in today. And so I spent a lot of time. I was very good, though, at deciphering and really just listening to what the customer was saying. I was not super technical, but I was I was never I never felt like I had to be the smartest technically or had to know every single in and out of the product. In fact, sometimes I felt that was a hindrance because it made me lead with the product and solution or the pros and cons or the benefits. Um, it made me lead with those things rather than legitimately trying to figure out, okay, where is there a gap? Where is there a gap in this client? It, it, their client's process. Um, where Because that's ultimately what we are trying to ascertain. And rather than being extremely opportunistic and you know hearing a potential need and immediately jumping on it and saying, oh, well, I, I recommend this, I would listen to the entire dialogue and then I would attempt to uh, make different diagnoses and, and state, hey, this is based on what you're telling me. These are the types of things that we can do. This is what I recommend. But frankly, you know, it's my goal to be your advocate in this process. And I want to steer you toward what's going to ultimately be the best. You know, if there were things that we could do to kind of proof out what, you know, what I proposed, I would, you know, activate those mechanisms. But but certainly it's it's our goal and a role as salespeople to show Hey, there, there is risk for any decision that you make. Um, it's my goal to minimize that as much as humanly possible and show you where the ROI is. And across every role I've been in, um, I have applied that principle of being the advocate, showing them how they're, they, how they can minimize that gamble, minimize that risk and how they can fear staying pat rather than making the change. As I as I look through LinkedIn and, and, and you and I have talked before, it seems like you've worked for mostly really big, well-known enterprise companies. Do you feel, Carson, like that the, the notion of what you're talking about, being an advocate, minimizing the risk is is unique to big companies or is that something that startups can can employ as well? I've had a lot of exposure to the startup community um, alongside working at very large enterprise companies. And I believe that the fundamentals and the, the pieces that you've got to build the foundations on are people in process. And I think that that is that is across any foray of sales that you that you do. 
So talk to me about that process or, or, or those fundamentals and with you specifically. How are you, because I know prospecting has been something that you've always been uh, good at. You've kind of been drawn to, as you, as you said. How are you opening up new conversations with prospects today? I think that's changed a lot, you know, from from role to role, and especially as technology has uh, been a big boost to prospecting. Um, you know, there's always so many tools and methods out there that you can subscribe to. Um, and I think it's paramount that we are continuing to uh, to adapt and to evolve to some of these new practices. Today, um, if I want to talk to a prospect, now granted, um, I work for a company where that name a lot of times opens the door or gets more doors open than I would have gotten previously. And I'm fully cognizant of that. I've been in situations where it was the exact opposite. I worked for an organization where nobody had heard of me and um, you know, I had to find my way in the door. And actually, my approach was very similar in both situations. I use LinkedIn quite a bit. Um, I also will subscribe to business journals uh, to stay on top of what's happening happening in my geography and and in my potential book of business. Um, but as far as how I get those relationships now, I use every method at my disposal, knowing fully that it is a it's it's a sales food chain. And if I know someone who can make the introduction, that warm introduction to a potential prospect, that is going to give me the highest probability of success of going to the next link in that sales food chain. Now, if I don't know anyone that can do that, or if I have to operate in bulk and at scale, which sometimes is the case, I may have to uh, drum up uh, support or attendees for an event across 100, 200, 300 uh, potential clients. Uh, so a lot of times there are scales plays a scale plays that we run. Um, so, you know, it could be a situation where I do prospecting on LinkedIn. Um, you know, I would say some of the best conversations that I've set up have been ones where I, I went out to LinkedIn and looked for different con- contacts within the organization who I thought uh, would be the right folks to connect with, have a conversation with. And then it's all the power of numbers. Um, you know, sometimes I'll try to connect with 10, 15, 20 people in an organization just to get one meeting. And I think that's where we as sellers, you know, it's the concept from the old book, Think and Grow Rich. Uh, A lot of us give up just before we would have reached success. And so I try to really play to the numbers game, you know, especially from a prospecting perspective, but also being fully cognizant that in this day and age, we can connect on LinkedIn. We can connect on a conference call. Nothing replaces the face-to-face. So the tried and true methods, the sitting down in an office and being able to look across the table to shake hands, share a meal maybe, uh, those are the things that forge the relationships. I just use social media and social selling and business trades to get in the door. Uh, it gives me a better probability of getting in the door, but I believe all the fundamentals of the relationship and truly being there and being present is what furthers the relationship. You know, I've read Think and Grow Rich multiple times, but for whatever reason, when you just said that a lot of us give up on something right before we have that breakthrough, man, it's just resonating with me right now. Maybe it's uh, the season of life I'm in. Maybe it's some of the conversations I've had with clients today, but you're, you're absolutely right. And it, we're, we're, you're on the brink of success and that's when you give up. And it, man, I'm getting cold chills. One of the things I heard you say, Carson, you might reach out to 10, 15 people at one company just to, to secure one meeting. I want to explore that a little bit more. And here's why. 
I've, I've had head trash uh, for, for many years about this notion that what if those 10 people start forwarding the message around and, and what if they're very similar to each other? And what if you get two meetings? Like, talk to me about your thought process around that. Like, are you expecting them to talk to each other? Do you want them to talk to each other? Let's look at this from two different perspectives. One, I believe that there is a certain degree of analysis paralysis that we undergo sometimes that prevents us from making motions that can further our selling and our selling acumen. And in these cases, you know, I've talked to people on on different teams in the past where you know they didn't want to do a certain prospecting play because they didn't want to over inundate prospects with a message. I get that. I do. I, I feel like at the same time. If you do the right messaging, look, I, I've been working with LinkedIn and, and doing prospecting with social selling for almost a decade, and it's changed a lot. I don't profess to even know what I'm doing in that space. I have tweaked my messaging so many times and tried different messages. Uh, you know, I've done webcasts and, and webinars, and I've done events, and I've learned something from every one of them. I've had events that nobody showed up to, and then I've had some that were the most populated events of that kind within the organization that I was in. And I learned something from both of those. So, I believe that you could almost think it to death, but if your concern is that, hey, you know, maybe these guys are going to forward these to each other, then look at it from that vantage point and maybe you word it in a way, you know, you word your outreach in a way that it would be conducive to that sharing. You know, hey, I, my name is Carson Hetty. I work for XYZ Company. Um, you know, the reason I was reaching out was maybe somebody told me to, maybe this or that. Maybe I saw a report that indicated this or that. I was reading an article this morning about this or that that's happening in your industry. And I was curious as to how you're approaching it. Um, I was looking for advice on on how I may be able to parlay my solution into your business. I, I think a lot of times where we as sellers can fail is that we focus way too much on the end result. We ask for the end result sometimes even. Um, you know, We say, hey, I, I sell this product, I do this and that, and this is why you should look at me. That you're, you're skipping a lot of steps. You have no relationship, they have no reason to trust you. And in this day and age when it's so easy to contact people via social media, you've gotta be even more conscious that your message, your first foot, your first impression has got to be unique. It's got to get, you know, secure that session and be transparent. You know, they, they know you're a seller. so show them this is why you should talk to me. Like, hey, I've spent a lot of time working with people in your industry. Um, yeah, I know that this is a trend. I I'd love to just sit down and chat for 10, 15 minutes and figure out how you're handling that or get your advice on how I might be able to talk to different folks in your business. Take a unique approach. Uh, the way that you're going to be but, but, but received... Hold on, hold on a second, though, of course. I'm like, uh, how do you balance all of that, though, right? Because these people that we're reaching out to, they're getting inundated with guys like you and I and the 20 other sellers that they hear from daily asking for 5, 10, 15 minutes on their calendar. And if they took all those meetings and, and provided us with information about how to sell to them, they would never get their job done. It all comes down to a unique value that you can bring. You know, maybe there's something that you see that matches up with one of your solutions. Maybe there's an event uh, that you believe you could get this person into, or uh, there is a potential benefit that they could perceive by talking to you. It's it's a lot easier now to do research as far as what organizations are doing, what they're investing in, um, you know, where they're 
organization is headed. It's a lot easier to do those types of things and to be able to speak to maybe you have a solution that makes acquiring or you know the acquisition process of an organization easier from the solution that you're selling. Or maybe you sell a companion solution uh, to something that they already invest in. Or maybe you're just trying to get them to move their HR platform from theirs to yours, uh, but you've got some industry-specific add-on that you really want them to see. So it could be enticing them with a little morsel that makes them say, oh, hey, well, this is worth giving my time. You got to realize it is like a 30-second commercial. You've got to be very quick, concise to the point. But I think, Jim, that's where it really speaks to that numbers game. And that's where it goes back to my original point about why I reach out to 10, 15 people in the organization. I know that 90 percent of the people are not going to make time for me. So I'm trying to find the one that will. And then I have a sponsor inside the organization because I'm a firm believer if I get to the table and that I do the process of being an advocate of listening to their pain points and figuring out where we might be able to help and then gaining their support within the organization that I may be able to eventually talk to the person that I set sights on to begin with. A lot of times we go to LinkedIn and we're like, oh, I want to talk to the CEO. I want to talk to the CFO. I want to talk to the VP of sales. Well, to get there, there may be some some individual people. You know, In the old days, we called those gatekeepers. But frankly, nowadays, it could be anybody in that organization that could get you that relationship. And I think that's why the numbers game is so important. You've got to put your best foot forward, but it's all about probability of success with the with the best possible unique messaging that kind of gives that enticement to the, hopefully the largest number of people that make sense in an organization to talk to. I'm not talking about reaching out to everybody in the business, but you pick 20, 30 people in a large organization that makes sense to be talking to target those folks, chances are a lot better that one will respond and give you the meeting. And once you're in, you've got a lot better chance of getting the relationships that you want to need in that organization. Yeah. You know, one of the things that I love most about getting to do this podcast is I get to talk to great salespeople like yourself every single week. And some of the stuff you're talking about uh, right now, I recently had Trong Nguyen uh, on the show and he said something very similar, but he had a unique uh, twist to it. He would reach out to five, 10, 15 people at the bottom of the organization get meetings with two, three, or four of those people because they were more apt to take the conversations. And he would just learn and learn and learn. And then he would use the things that he learned to reach out to their managers. And he would learn from them. And then he would learn what, or he would take all the learnings from the managers, reach with the directors. And literally, he would get meetings with CFOs of Fortune 50 companies basically saying, hey, uh, I've talked to your people over the last couple of years. And here's what I'm hearing them say. This is what I'd be worried about if I were you. And CFOs were invited, like, hold on, I'm not, I'm not hearing that. Come tell me what else you got. Uh, so I, I love that notion. I'm glad you, you positioned it that way. And speaking of research, I mentioned, I heard you say that you still subscribe to the print version of the business journals. I thought I was the only one old enough to, to still do that. I work with a lot of, of millennials who I don't think even get physical mail anymore. But, but talk to me about what, what you're looking for in those business journals. Clearly it's research, but is there specific information you're looking for as you prospect? Typically, the headlines of each, you know, anything that is going to inform my potential conversation with a client, it's 
a lot of our job is scaling and figuring out the right way to make a quality touch of a prospect. You know, there's so many different marketing statistics of how much momentum is lost for every day, every week that passes between a really good conversation and that next step or that next demo or whatever it is. And so I'm always looking for ways to make quality touches without just going for the sale. Um, It it could be I go through and I, I see an article that's pertinent to their industry or something that um, is being leveraged in their industry and um, or maybe even a change within their organization or an acquisition that's coming up and I'll reach out and um, it's it's definitely helps the information that uh, that I have in my disposal because I'll reach out to my contact there say hey saw this I'm curious as to your thoughts or hey I saw this article this morning and uh, it actually was it, it reminded me of our conversation that we had two weeks ago interested in your thoughts and a lot of t- it, it shows the customer that you're thinking about them and that you listened and that you were, um, you know, part of you know, an active part of that conversation. But at the same time, it also keeps you top of mind with that customer without always going for the sale. And here's the here's the beauty to that. Is it all about the business journal? Is it all about LinkedIn? Is it all about following their Twitter feed, you know, the organization's Twitter feed? No, it's not. It's a, there is no silver bullet. You, I, I try not to discriminate against any type of platform or media that I can quickly digest that could give me information that could help me further the relationship at that organization. I love what you just said about reaching out to five to 10 people at the bottom of an organization. Sometimes you can invest years in companies. And I know a lot of us work with uh, in, in situations where we have much shorter sales cycles. So it's it makes those touches all the more important, those conversations all the more important. If I can't get the CEO, CFO, CIO uh, conversation, I will absolutely move down a level in the organization and then down at another level in the organization until I start getting those conversations. So I would say very similar philosophy, but I'm always looking for what is a medium that I can digest quickly that is going to help me in the conversations that I'm having with customers. What I like about that notion, uh, Carson, with this quality touch and adding to the momentum is you're looking for stuff that's not Microsoft branded. You're looking for stuff that's written by someone else that you get to share with your client, truly adding value beyond, hey, look again how great our solution is, as you, as you said, not always trying to sell them something. So let's talk about what I perceive as your ability to constantly be reinventing yourself, both externally and internally. You've gone through uh, quite a bit. What, what, where does that come from? It's out of survival and it's out of that, that will to win that's in the back. Um, but the ability to do it, it's, it's all about endurance. And I, you know, I want to talk about think and grow rich again, because that, that is a, a guiding principle for me is I, I won't give up and there's no benefit to doing so. In fact, the one time that I left a role to go to something that I thought was going to be better for me, it was absolutely not. And I learned very quickly that there's a lot that I can endure, that there are going to be uh, different variables everywhere that I go um, that are going to be frustrating. Um, there are going to be there's going to be politics. And what I can't I can't control those things. But what I can do is I can control myself. I can control 
the controllables and I can control my reactions and how I uh, manage myself in the business. And I take every opportunity at a time. I take every day at a time. I've had some really lousy sales days in my career, uh, but the next day, I, I you know, there's no reason to take that baggage with me. So where I believe that you can reinvent yourself best or how I believe you reinvent yourself best is by always looking for what is my motivation? What's my driving factor? What's my driving force? You know, there are some situations that you cannot win. And so continue to give your all to each of the situations coming forward. And eventually, if you focus on people and process, uh, the numbers will take care of themselves. You know, I'm a big believer that most people in sales, they know what to do, but they don't really know why they're doing it. And if they can get to that internal why, that's going to help drive that success to levels that they might even think they have the potential to do. I want to talk though about that survival concept that you mentioned, Carson. You told me a story before. I know you worked for a manager that that tried to remove you while you were at the top of the leaderboard. Talk to me more about that. What happened? How did you react to that? We are always going to face similar themes and how we learn from these challenges and how we address and, 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 and really apply those learnings going forward is really going to define our trajectory. Um, you know, we can stumble, we can fall, you know, there are things that happen that are completely out of our control, but very few things, good or bad, last long. And I've, I've certainly learned that over the years, I've had managers and teams that I loved just, I mean, everything was perfect and meshing, but they changed and people moved on and went into different organizations. Um, and then I've had dynamics that just did not work. Um, this was one of those times I, I had a leader that the relationship just didn't work. Uh, I, I don't know that our priorities were aligned. I did everything I could to really understand you know, what their priorities were, how I could match my activities to their priorities, being over communicative, you know, showing them they, these are the things that I'm doing every day. You know, so you, you know I'm not just sitting around and not doing anything to meet your priorities. But that's where I feel like the endurance piece uh, really helped me stay the course. I, I weathered the storm and I ended up getting moved to a different, well, we had changes within the organization. So I was moved to a different supervisor and uh, they told me I was the best seller they ever had. So it's it's amazing how sometimes just there are things that you can't control, but if you can endure those things, you may be able to get to successes that you would not have realized otherwise. I'm sitting here shaking my head, Carson, as I hear you talk about this notion that good or bad, nothing lasts very long. And I think back to the time of, of when, I, when I was serving in the Marine Corps, you know, I went through some days of just pure hell, but it didn't matter. No matter what they were putting us through on those days, the day was going to come to an end and the sun was going to come up tomorrow and it was going to be a completely different environment. And you're just right. And, and gosh, it goes back to, again, think and grow rich. Uh, well, I'll definitely link that up in the show notes, but we, we, we get so close to, to success and it's right on the brink is when a lot of people often give up. So good stuff, Carson, I've got to take a quick break so that I can say thank you to my sponsors. When we come back, it's going to be time for the money round. So you don't go away and sales tuners, you don't go away there. We'll be right back. Costello is pioneering the way companies build and execute sales playbooks. The platform helps sales reps prepare for calls, ask timely questions, 
tell relevant stories, and sync insights back to their CRM, all while showing managers and reps the gaps in every single deal so they can work them together to move them forward. With Costello, sales leaders can identify what's working on the front line and replicate success across their entire team. Learn more and see a demo at andcostello.com. That's A-N-D-C-O-S-T-E-L-L-O.com. We're back and it's time for the money round. Carson, are you ready for the money round? I am. Let's do it. Big money, no win. There we go. (laughs) What's the one thing that has contributed most to your transformation from normal to exceptional? Tireless perseverance. It's it's been the one driving force. Uh, you know, we were just talking about you know understand. You know, some salespeople don't know why they do what they do or why they do the process. You know, they understand the process but don't understand why. You know, I think it's it's been tireless perseverance. If you were to start over today in sales, what would you tell yourself to spend the next thirty days doing? Building the network internally and externally. Uh, I would have spent a lot more time uh, really focused on the relationships. Um, I, I think I, early on, I spent a lot more time focusing on the process end of things. And uh, to my detriment, you know, I wasn't as focused on the relationships. I was more focused on those things, those those tangible things that I could control in the process. And, you know, I could control the, the sales script or what I said on the call or, you know, how I got the meeting. I could control all those things. But there's a lot of, um, of uh, you know, different pieces of the relationships that I didn't necessarily build internally I could have done more in that space and uh, it would have been it would have given me a much greater foundation so definitely would tell myself to build my network internally and externally for the purpose of building relationships two-part question for you here which phrase describes you best and why I love to win or I hate to lose I love to win. It's all about just that that taste, that uh, that adrenaline, um, and, and really, especially when it's a team win. Um, you know, just that ability to show others that they can turn a situation that was you know that seemed completely hopeless, or a deal that seemed hopeless, or that they went through all these struggles, and it's we achieved it. We're at the, in that moment, we're at the top of the mountain, and um, you know, there's something that is so gratifying about that. Carson, what's a book that you've read multiple times or always find yourself recommending to others? Yeah, motivationally speaking, I would definitely say Think and Grow Rich and How to Win Friends and Influence People by Dale Carnegie. Um, now, as far as me personally reading multiple times, I would also have to point out the James Bond series. I'm a huge fan. I've read all the books multiple times. Uh, my favorite is on Her Majesty's Secret Service. Uh, I wish Sean Connery had been in that film. But it's uh, those are the types of things, and especially... I'll tell you, it's, I've been in some very intense sales roles and there was a time where I was struggling with kind of my motivation and getting through the day. And uh, I, I kind of broke up my day by forcing myself to take a lunch. Um, I know Gordon Gecko tells us lunch is for wimps, but I would force myself to take a lunch and I would sit and I would read James Bond stories. And that escapism did so much for me mentally. Um, so I would certainly recommend you know those books that speak to how to build relationships and how to you know have your, your mindset in, in business. But I also encourage you to find something that gives you necessary escapism. 
I could not agree more with everything you just said. Uh, and sales tuners, if you'd like to check out Carson's suggestions of Think and Grow Rich, How to Win Friends and Influence People, or any of the James Bond series, head on over to salestuners.com slash book. There you can sign up for a free 30-day trial of Audible and browse their over 150,000 titles. Again, that's salestuners.com slash book. That notion, Carson, of escapism and being able to just step outside of all the professional growth and uh, almost it's almost like a perversion of growth that we have in today's world. But yes, get outside of it, clear your head, get right back in, you'll be better for it. Carson, what's currently at the top of your bucket list? More international travel. Um, I, I've been really fortunate. I've been uh, to a few different countries and I've been through almost every state in the US, um, but I would love to do more international travel. And speaking of James Bond, I would love to go some of the exotic locations that they've filmed some of those films. I really like going places where ha- they have a strong historical significance, um, you know, like. Uh, I've actually got an upcoming trip that I need to go to uh, Philadelphia and just going up the rocky steps and holding my arms up in the air. Just things of that stature. I like to um, have kind of those epic moments, uh, but go to places where uh, they have really some strong historical or uh, pop culture significance. What's the biggest piece of advice you have for all the sales tuners out there grinding today? Endure and network. You know, I would say invest in relationships and just keep learning. Carson's firm belief that knowing too much about the inner workings of a product could be a hindrance to the sales process is interesting. I understand what he's saying in that it could cause you to lead with product instead of investing in the relationship and exposing the prospect's gap. If you want to stay in touch with Carson, his Twitter handle follows his admiration for James Bond, and you can find him at CVHeady007. Let's get to my top takeaways. Number one, become an advocate. As a seller, you will never benefit if a prospect goes down a path that isn't going to benefit them. We've talked a lot on this show about the need to truly listen to your buyer, and it's true. You have to understand what factors they're facing internally and externally, what deadlines they're up against, and what investments they may have already made. Once you've done that, then you can align your resources from content to people to offer the best solution that's unique to them. Number two, make quality touches. Who benefits from messages that are just checking in? If you said nobody, you're right. Every outreach you make needs to provide value to your prospect. Think about how you can use business journals, social media, or any other news platform to encourage conversations and show that you actually heard your buyer and understand their challenges. Do not mistake what I'm saying. By no means am I telling you to never go for the sale. I'm just telling you that done right, building a relationship based on the value you add outside of your product can make a huge difference. And number three, quit focusing on the end result. Building on both the previous takeaways, understand that I know you have a quota to hit, but by always focusing on the end result, the thing you want most, a signed contract, you could be pushing your prospect farther and further away. Start thinking about what is the best possible next step. Want to secure a meeting with the vice president? Maybe you should talk to two or three of her direct reports first and learn what matters. Want to close a deal by the end of the quarter? Maybe you should have an alignment meeting to understand both the internal resources they'll need and what other projects they'll be working on at the same time. That's it. Those are my takeaways, but I'd love to hear yours. Please tweet at me at SalesTuners or shoot me an email, jim at salestuners.com. I reply to every message that I get. All right. I hope to see you next week. Until then, I'm Jim Brown. Let's make it rain. 
Thank you for listening to Sales Tuners. Stay up to date at www.salestuners.com. And don't forget to subscribe, rate, and review us on Apple Podcasts. And they stay there.